0: Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast Bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers And a celebrity fan or two I'm your host Mark Pugac, don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing At mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video So lots to discuss with the former FA chairman Greg Dyke, with Tony Cotty, the former England and West Ham and Everton striker, and with Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer. Hello, everybody. Great to see you all. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Game On. Greg, great to see you uh, as well in particular. And Tony, right, let's start with um, the football authorities and football administration, Greg, uh, as a former chairman of the FA. Uh, Another former chairman, David Bernstein, Gary Neville and a few others, Andy Burnham, getting together this week to say that football needs a new regulatory body. I think everybody would probably agree with that how difficult in principle will that be to put into
1: place? Well, I mean, first of all, the conclusion, I reached that conclusion at the FA. The FA, in the end, relies too much for its income on the players from the professional game. And therefore, it can't be an effective regulator. Um, The the only people who could do it will be the government. No one else could do it. Um, I can't see the Premier League voting for a regulator in any circumstances, nor the FA, because they, they think they're the regulator. Um, but the government could do it. Interesting. Martin, do you, well, no, hang on, Greg, do you think the government have got the guts to do it? I don't think it's top of their list at the moment, <laughs> the priorities. I mean, you know, I, I think they've got a few other things on their mind, but at some stage, uh, they might do it, yes, or a government might do it, yes, yeah, and and is it high high
0: overdue that they do do it, Greg? because when you see what happened last week, the big six going for a power grab, which is where they were, and then very quickly Liverpool and Manchester United have to have to vote against their own proposal because they see which way the wind is going. Uh, do you think it in in the end, they will have to go along with it, the big clubs
1: well i uh, no, I don't, I don't think it would. They will they will ever vote for it. I think they will be told by government at some stage. Look, this is it's quite clearly a cartel. Uh, this is it's twenty clubs coming together to sell their their rights, sell their legal rights together. If you did that in any other industry, it would be called a cartel, and you'd have a regulator. Um, that's and that I think is what will eventually happen. But I don't think this is going to happen in the near future. Yeah, Martin, what's your reaction to it all this week?
2: Well, to this week, I mean, the idea of a government regulator—the uh, problem you've got there straight away is that uh, if you get government involved in football, FIFA then step in. Um, That—that is—that's—that is a big problem. Unless it's an independent regulator. If you start, um, and the crisis that has happened this week—it's the first time I've ever thought that there should be a, a government uh, regulator because this this is not going to resolve itself um but you do have a complication with FIFA which I'm sure Greg would would acknowledge that they that they tend to get involved the minute the government gets involved in football um so you'd have to square that circle straight away but but um, you can have an independent regulator an, an independent regulator. Like for an independent regulator. Yeah. An independent regulator, yes, but you couldn't have it. You can't have football run by government as such, um, and it would ha- it would need agreement um, from the various other organisations because um, because that puts you out of whack with FIFA as well. This is a very very difficult situation. What do I think of this week? Mm. Um, I'm inclined to agree with uh, Greg Clark. I mean, Greg Clark was wrong to. But be involved in these meetings from the very start. But I think he described Rick Parry as most dangerous man in football um, at the Premier League meeting. I'm inclined to agree with that. Mm. Um, I really am. I mean, the idea that when the EFL needs help, he should be uh conspiring uh with two clubs in the in in the mm-hmm. Premier League at the expense of everybody else. I mean is, is absolutely incredible. He's got, a, he's got a £250 million figure, which appears to be plucked out of thin air because I've never seen any uh, rationalisation of exactly why that is needed, where that is, who that goes to, how that is administered. Uh, all of these scenes, it's not as if we haven't had time. It's the one thing we've had the last six months, everyone's sitting on their hands at home. So, you've got time to say, right, these are, this is specifically what is needed, as opposed to, you know, Project Big Picture. The idea that there are two American venture capitalists sitting. In the States, worried about the English football pyramid. Mm. I mean, I find that I find it laughable that people have, have, have fallen for this idea. Yeah. And why does it have to come with all these strings attached to do with the power grab in the Premier League? If you really want to help the English football pyramid, help the English football pyramid. Why does it have to come with all of these caveats that we get the power, we get the money, we get the control over everything? Yeah. yeah. It's a moment in time. This is what people keep forgetting about football. It's a moment in time. Aston Villa are one yep. of the most successful clubs in the history of English football, but not at the moment, because it's a moment in time. You're all passing through.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, tw- 20 years AC
2: ago... Wien, just, yeah. AC of a mid-table club yeah, in yeah. Italy now. They're a mid-table club. It's a moment in time. You cannot use that moment in time to seize all of the power and all of the control and keep yourself in place in perpetuity. You cannot.
0: I mean, Manchester City were in the third tier 20 years ago. Tony, I think Gary Neville summed it up for people when he said he didn't want football run by John W. Henry and the Glazers and Stan Kroenke and Daniel Levy.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Mark. You know, listen, you know, Martin and Greg have made some excellent points. I'm fully uh, for an independent regulator, but you've got to get the right people to be that regulator. You know, we can't have business people running football, but there's an argument you wouldn't just want football people running football. You've got to get a mixture of everything. You know, there's so much, there's so much right with our game, but there's also so much wrong with our game, Mark. And it can't just be about the Premier League clubs. I love the Premier League. It's great. We've got 20 fantastic clubs, but what about all the other clubs in the lower leagues and that? You know, why not have a north and south for the for the league one and league two? It's stupid that Plymouth play Hartlepool or whatever it might be. It's madness, you know. And you also can't block the path for the Stuart Pierces, the Les Ferdinands, recently Jamie Vardy and Dwight Gale, all These guys that played lower league football to come through to play in the Premier League. So there's so much great about the game, but it, football football needs to take a deep breath, take a good look at itself because for me, there's certain people trying to take it in the wrong direction, and we've all got to stand together and stop that.
0: Well, there's a lot of the England squad this week who had an EFL background. Let's talk about the EFL, Greg, with your Brentford hat on as a former director there, because this 50 million that was floated to help League One and League Two, that hasn't been agreed. But of course, the the, the championship clubs have had to run through the pandemic as well. So their costs have gone through the roof. What, What sort of relationship and what sort of figure do you think, no matter whether whatever you call it, project whatever, needs to go from the Premier League to the championship
1: to help them get through this time? I I don't know. I mean, it varies from club to club. Brentford sold their striker to Aston Villa for 28 million. That will save them. Uh, They then, uh, but some of that money went through to Exeter. Yeah. Uh, I think about three or four million went to Exeter. That will save them. But I mean, there's a lot of others who are in terrible trouble, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Peter Ridsdale, who's now at Preston,
0: whatever you think of Peter Ridsdale's past with Leeds, said that half a dozen clubs could go to the wall by Christmas, Greg, if there isn't some sort of bailout. Do you think the Premier League really cares enough about the EFL, Greg?
1: Um, No, I don't think they do. I mean, that's... The, remember the history. I mean, I was there when the whole thing, when the Premier League was set up, you know, as was Rick Parry, out of interest. I
2: was just about, um, I, was, I was wondering, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was, you know, that, that, that's the thing with Rick Parry. He he creates, you know, parachute payments coming under Rick Parry. The thing that he went in there and described as the most evil, he invented it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful line in The Simpsons. Homer Simpson proposes a toast to alcohol. The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's Rick Parry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but you shouldn't necessarily believe because he was the chief executive of the Premier League that he took the decisions that no, was, but, but he was party to the decisions yeah, he was he, there
2: you he can't pretend it's, it wasn't he, and even yourself you can't pretend you weren't part of this because before it it was 50% of the broadcast revenue to the top tier 25% to the second tier and 12.5% each to Division 3 and 4 now that that was that would that system would have kept everybody
1: It wasn't that many years earlier that it was divided between ninety-two clubs. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I personally, uh, I mean, the Premier League has been a brilliant a success. It's been an Not amazing success. 100%. Except, except, it's handed British football. I mean, it's now owned by funds. Absolutely. Managed by foreigners and played by foreigners. And and it's become the national it's become an international league, really. Absolutely. Just happens to be played in, in England. And and one of the things when I was chairman of the FA, I was trying to do was to actually reverse that a bit so that you didn't want not have foreign players, but I mean a lot of foreign players come to play here because for the clubs it's cheaper to sign them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Greg, part of the reason it's such a success is because it is still a
0: meritocracy and Blackpool and Barnsley and Swindon and Hull can get in the Premier League. And I think this is what really worries the fans, that, you know, if the, if the, if the big six got their way,
1: you know, they would become near enough a closed shop. Well, I think one of the other reasons it's a success is that the television money that goes into the Premier League is divided fairly equally. Yeah. Not, not equally, but fairly equally. Yeah. Um, And I think that means everybody gets a chance of playing and therefore there's still some money around in the the clubs that are down the bottom to buy players and all that sort of thing. And I think that's what's made it work, that, that the difference between the top clubs and the bottom clubs is not that massive in terms of financial income.
0: Yeah, but 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 Tony, let's take an example of well, th- three of the teams you played for. Even Everton was squeezed out of the big six, weren't they? And West Ham and Leicester, of course, as well. This is the other thing that underlines the nonsense of it. Leicester were champions five years ago, and yet you know the big boys don't want them in their club. And Leicester have won the title a lot sooner than some of those clubs in there as well. So, as as Greg was saying, the joy of it is that West Ham and Leicester and Everton can afford to to spend some money, buy players, and still
3: dream of reaching the top. And let's not forget who's top of the league at the moment, Mark yeah. Everton. Yeah. So you know they, they've got their dream on this year. You know Leicester have had their dream. Me and Martin are still waiting for West Ham to back I'm sure that's going to be a long, long time. Now, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but, no, but you, you've got to have dreams. You know that's what it's all about. You know the, the Premier League. We we just all said it's a fantastic product. We all know that. You know, and you, you can't blame the owners of the football clubs for wanting the best for their football club. I don't blame them for that. But at some stage, you've got to take responsibility. You've got to look after these lower league clubs as well. And whether it's fifty million, hundred. One hundred and fifty million. You know, raise a mortgage. You've got loads of money coming in. Raise, raise against it. Loan against it. Give the clubs what they need. Keep these clubs afloat. I think we would all accept we're not probably going to see fans until March or April next year. And that's a long, long time for clubs to not have any income. No gate receipts coming through. Sponsors aren't interested because no one's going to the games. It's very, very tough for these clubs. They need help, Mark. And the Premier League have got the ability to do it. If the government aren't going to help, which they probably won't, the the Premier League have got to help these lower league clubs.
2: Part, part of the just another to, to part of the reason that the Premier league uh, didn't give everybody the, the full amount if you see what i mean there, there was the, there's this 50 million uh, offer and there's 20 million there and it's 30 million uh, down the line is is it was thought that if you just gave them gave the money and, and, and just solved the problem and just gave it as a one giant lump sum that that then takes the onus of government to let fans back in at the, at the lower levels, that you solve the problem and then and then there's no pressure placed on the government to uh, get fans back in. Because without a doubt, you could, if you're, if you're looking at events at the O2, if you're looking at events at the London Plain and the Royal Albert Hall, you could certainly work on, on that principle in the lower leagues at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that would really, really help those clubs. I'm not. I'm not talking about Old Trafford yet, and, and 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 you know that that sort of thing. But in in the lower leagues, if you look at the O2, uh, which I think had three thousand out of a uh, five thousand capacity, and if you think of the capacity at, at most lower league clubs, if you worked at sixty percent of capacity, or if you worked at forty percent of capacity. You could you could actually make a real impact on their finances uh, in a, in a positive way,
3: yeah.
2: um, and we can you know we can be suspicious about why it was presented like this and all the political machinations, but there is a there is definitely a. Um, desire at the moment to to keep the pressure on the government to uh, resolve the issue with fans.
0: Okay, so you think giving, handing the money over would just take that pressure off the government? I know yeah,
2: that okay. was the conversation in the Premier League, that if we sure. do this, if we just give it as one lump sum, yeah. then any any sort of negotiation sure. with the government goes out the window because that's it, the, the problem's over.
0: Greg, what do you think the FA think about what's going on? Because the relationship between the FA and the Premier League has never been that <laughs> easy, has it?
1: Uh, no, it was pretty awful, actually, um, and I think has been for some years. It might be better now. I mean, I haven't been involved for three years. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the FA. I mean, as I say, I've always, my conclusion about the FA was that it can't be an effective regulator, and it can't be an effective – really, it can't be the effective person who sorts this out and brings them all into the room, because I just don't think that's what its role is. I don't think it can do that. Um, I mean, what what scares me is I've been sitting in other businesses this week and we've been doing scenarios of what happens if this thing goes on for another year. You know, what happens is it doesn't finish next April, it's the April after that or something like that. That's not impossible. And if you start doing that to the average, I mean, certainly I know when the period I was chairman of Brentford and it was not as well off as it is today, we would have been in real trouble now because... Basically, you took your season ticket money in the summer to see you through the summer, and then you lived on from that. Well, if you're giving your season ticket money back, they're in real, real trouble. And Brentford was not as bad as others. Yeah, and of course, a lot of the money at that level does come through
0: the gate, doesn't it? Not commercially, Greg. A lot is oh, yeah. through the turnstiles. Yeah, that's
1: the, I mean, if you're, if you're down in Division Two, you know, it, it's that's what you need. You need a gate. And Greg, how much do you
0: think, I noticed something else smuggled in this week, which I think all of us have suspected for a long time that the American owners wanted, which is you, you subscribe to MUTV, you're a Man United fan, you can watch every Man United game at 3pm at home. They've been desperate to get that in, haven't they? Because that's what happens in America. Obviously, given the geography, you can't go to away games, so that's what they do. They're, they're desperate to smuggle that in, aren't they? Do you think about how many American owners we have? Well, the big three clubs are all owned by Americans.
1: Actually, when I, I was on the board of Manchester United you know, in the late 90s, yeah. and I remember then writing a paper saying, not about home games, but mm. you could easily have an away season ticket. But, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got 60,000, 70,000 at Old Trafford, you know, 3,000 go away the other lot were buying away season tickets so they could watch it and I've always thought that that's I I don't think that undermines um, the basic broadcast deals I suppose
0: it might have an impact though on local football that's still the argument isn't it with a three o'clock blackout on a Saturday
1: Uh, yeah but I think I, I think that's true. I don't think, but, but this would only be for so a few, first, you know, 20,000 Manchester United fans who would buy a season mm. ticket. Mm. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I think, look, the American owners who have been buying into British football clubs clearly want it to be very different mm. and have been frustrated that it hasn't
0: changed. Martin, let's finish with this. What what happens in the next well, I think probably Greg's right, it depends how long the pandemic goes on for, but how do you see the next three, six, nine months on this level?
2: I mean, that that is absolutely impossible to predict because you you know it, it depends on the return of crowds. I mean, it's it's and it's not really about nine months, it's about the next couple of weeks or so on whether the EFL and, and the Premier League can resolve this situation. And there is a complete absence of trust in the room between the two parties. There is certainly a complete absence of trust between um, 18 Premier League clubs and Rick Parry. Um, you know, there was, there was I know at the Premier League meeting, there was one club that didn't want to give any money at all to the EFL. There was another group of clubs and it was a majority uh, in the room um, that wanted to draft a, a, a proposal that called on Mick Perry to resign. I mean, so that's where we are at the moment. So, um, you know, we need to we need to get over that hill first before before we start thinking about nine months time.
0: Yeah, mistrust everywhere it seems. Now, before we look ahead to the return of the Premier League, Jamie Redknapp's been catching up with Patrick Bamford on Leeds United's return to the top division, to Marcelo Bielsa's methods and to carrying around that private school tag.
4: How, how proud are you and the team and how well you, you know, because everyone is sort of, years ago it was almost like dirty Leeds, but now everyone seems to love the way you play. There's a real enthusiasm to watching Leeds play right now.
5: Yeah, I remember at the start of last season, um, I was walking through town and a couple of friends came up and were like, we don't understand if you get promoted how much this will mean to the whole city. And I think that's true that we don't realise, yeah, we obviously realise we got promoted, but we don't realise what we've done for the town, for the club. In terms of its history, it's taken so long. get. Yeah, as you said about the fans, it is it's special when it's a, when it's a loud night or a loud game. Then you literally, you can't hear someone ten yards away from you.
4: Because I've always I've always watched you carefully. You, uh, I, when I when I played, I had a few managers say that, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a nice lad. You know, you've been well brought up and everything like that. And people sort of and that used to sort of offend me in a way because yeah. I can. You know, I didn't. I didn't. I, like, I didn't have necessarily the best education, but because of my mum and dad having a stable background, etc., people sometimes think, oh, you're a bit too nice to be a footballer. It actually made me work even harder. And, I'm, and, I, and I've obviously read up and I've heard and you you'll come across like a really nice, educated boy. Do you think that sometimes people have held that against you a little bit?
5: Yeah, 100%. I think that, um, weirdly enough, the managers that I've actually been get on best with have been the foreign managers who don't care about that kind of They kind of, whatever my past or my background is, they either don't know or it doesn't, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even cross their mind as to what to it might change about. I mean, I don't want to name names, but certain managers are just, just going to away because they they think of my background, born with a sort of student, which obviously isn't true. The way I look at it is that no footballer can become a footballer if they haven't worked hard. So being born, being raised a certain way makes no difference cause everyone's got to work hard to get there. It's interesting you say with the foreign
4: managers as well because I would never have thought of it that way. You know, a manager because, you know, obviously Bielsa's coming to, to the club and was that like a bit of a breath of fresh air for you thinking, you know, he doesn't care you know, you know, what my background is, why I went to school anything like that. He just cares what I can do for him
5: as the player. I think all he cares about is are you doing it on the pitch? Are you working hard training? Are you giving it all for the team? If you are, then... Where you play.
4: What What is it like in day-to-day life with, with Bielsa? If his staff aren't putting
5: clones out to the exact centimetre, like if they're just a foot out of place, then they're getting an earful because it makes a difference, that little thing will make a difference if all the little things add up. So he wants everything perfect all the time and everything has to be the way that he needs it to be because in his head... I, remember, I can't remember which game it was, but he said before the game, he said, this game's going to go like this, the team plays like this. This is how they're going to try and score, or they will probably score against us if they're going to score. So this is how we'll score against them. And I think we ended up winning 2-3-1 or three, one, and literally exactly everything he said happened in the game. So he's watched so much football. That I think he knows kind of every outcome. It's it's quite weird. It's the one thing that I admire probably the most is your fitness levels,
4: the way you work. You tell you outwork teams and you outplay them. When yeah. what is training is it incredibly hard? Is is it the hardest training like is he the hardest training coach you've ever had?
5: Yeah, I mean the a lot of it is like, so pre-season is a lot of running, which I know is pretty general at most clubs, but The running is like one kilometre, you have to do one kilometre as fast as you can. And he has like certain times that if you can't get under this time, you won't play for him. If you can't get under this time, then you've got a chance, you're not going to be a key fixture in the team. But if you can get under this time, it's a good time. Say it was Saturday to Saturday, we'd just do running on a Monday. Tuesday would be like technical session but then wednesday that's the hardest session i've ever done that's like i don't know if you've heard of it we call it murder ball it started off 11 11 every player has their own cone, and you just play like five blocks for five minutes but as soon as the ball goes out of play wherever you are on the pitch you have to sprint back to your cone and then the ball gets chucked in somewhere again it's just constant so it's changed a little bit now that we don't have the cones and stuff, but basically we have got to sprint all the time. There's there's no relaxing, and it's kind Up of like the pitch. Full
4: size pitch. Wow. Has he been just a manager that just understands you, gets the best out of you, and he's the one player, that you get, one coach that you go, yeah, I, I've learned and I've becoming so much better because of him? Or is it? Would you put it more down to yourself?
5: No, hundred percent. I'd, I'd say obviously part of it is down to myself, but the majority of it is down to him. Is because he's so demanding. I think sometimes, as like humans, you sometimes get into that comfort zone where you're like, oh, I'm doing all right. I can just like kind of coast along a little bit. But he, he will never, ever let you Like If you're doing well with you, he wants you to be better. Um, he's always pushing for more. And I think that, as you said earlier, the, the physical side of things, He's brought every player on physically, so we can do the things that he wants. And then the understanding of the game and just the way he wants to play the game, I think that he's, he's kind of taught me loads. And I wouldn't be playing in the Premier League now if it wasn't for him.
0: Well, that's Patrick Bamford speaking to Jamie Redknapp. Leeds have made a great start, Tony, as well. And Bamford's one of those players where everyone goes, well, he scores in the Championship. Can he make it at the Premier League level? You have to say, so far, he's proved that he can, hasn't he?
3: Yeah, and you've got to be given the opportunity and consistently given the opportunity as well. You know, I mean, they always ask these questions, don't they? Whether these players can come up from the Championship League, one, whatever, can they play in the Premier League? The answer is they're playing with better players, they're playing against better players, and if you're good enough, you raise your game, which is exactly what Patrick's done. It reminds me a lot about about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, very, very similar in that they both, over the last couple of years, they've both been fantastic team players. They really have. They've done a really good job for Everton and for Leeds. And then you just look at the one thing that's consistently missing and it's the one thing that you get judged on, which is called goals. And you have to bring goals to the table. And Patrick and Dominic are both doing that now. And that's what the fans will judge them on. It's all right being a great team player and going out on the left wing and the right wing and then the ball gets crossed in the middle and you're not there you're not going to score any goals. You have to be in that 18-yard box. Get your goals. And I've been delighted with both of them, particularly Patrick. You know, he he seems a nice lad. Sometimes you look and think, is he a little bit too nice? But he's just got that aura about him, hasn't he? But you can only do your, you know, prove people wrong on the pitch. He's been fantastic this year so far.
0: Martin, uh, Tony mentions Dominic Calvin-Lewin, which brings us on to England. The general feeling seems to be, I think everybody who watches England, whether you're in our business or fans, is that Gareth Southgate's gone... (laughs) Very conservative in the last two or three months. Would you go along with that?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that, that I was looking at statistics and it's, like, oh, when England play four at the back, they score this amount of goals. When England play three at the back, they score this amount of goals. And, and we're not scoring many goals. Um he plays three at the back when he's worried about the opposition. He plays three at the back when he's not quite sure about his own team. I mean, he admitted in the World Cup um, in 2018 that three at the back was a device to, to, to get him through that competition in that particular time in English football. And he thought that with experience, uh, England would be able to evolve and, and would be able to play a different way hasn't entirely happened that hasn't that, that hasn't quite happened and he's now back to playing in quite a conservative way three at the back doesn't have to be that conservative but again we, we still come back to um we haven't got the Kevin De Bruyne character we haven't got the you know the, the Andre Perlo. it used to be Perlo. It's now De Bruyne where is our De Bruyne um and you know, Phil Foden wasn't about this, um, the, the, this international break for disciplinary reasons, and we lack a little bit of creativity, um, and, 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 that, and that's true, and uh, but, um, and we're, and we're vulnerable defensively as well. Oh, which, I, Mark, sorry
3: to interrupt, I don't yes,
2: think the sure three at the back, I think the problem no. is... Two holding midfield players against them, what That's what said? I mean. But you're not that's thinking it's belt and braces. You don't think it's belt and braces, three at the back, yeah. and you've got two holding in the middle, and that's what it is. I mean, I played in teams with three at the back, and it can be one of the most
3: attacking Absolutely. formations you can have. You can also play two up front with three at the back. But mm. Gareth doesn't play two up front, and he plays two holding midfield players. Mm. We've got you mentioned Phil Fogan, he's going to be probably our best player at the Euros next year. That's how good Phil Fogan is mm. a fantastic. We've got Jack Grealish sitting on the bench. He's one of oh, the most important players. And you're saying there's no creativity, Mark? Why not play him? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be too critical of Gareth. I think he's done a fabulous job. I really do. Getting to the semi-finals, etc. Bringing the young kids through. I want to give him all the praise in the world. But sometimes at home to Denmark. This is we, we are England. We're still one of the big nations. We're at home to Denmark. You should not be worried about the opposition. Apart from Ericsson, I did not see too much that frightened me the other night.
0: No, I just feel like it's a tipping point now with what everybody is saying. And Greg, do you sit there with your FA hat on and with a wry smile going, I've seen this story before when the, when the relationship between the country, the media, whatever it is, and the England manager is
1: on a bit of a knife edge? <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, you look at the last World Cup, and you came, and we all came away saying, "Oh, there's a future here. There's something here." Uh, And I still think he's a good manager, and I think we'll be fine when we get into the Euros. I think football at the moment is a bit weird, you know, playing without the fans and the rest of it. Actually, it's it'll be an interesting piece of analysis to do when it's all over Mm. to see what. What happened to results in that period? You know, but when you're seeing Liverpool shipping six or seven goals on the best, you think this is and I, I thought that applied. I didn't see the second England game. Uh, I thought we were quite lucky to beat in the first one naturally, to, to to win that. They beat Belgium, very lucky, yeah. But I don't think we've got his his best team out yet, and I I just think we should, you know, he's he's entitled for us to lay off him for a while to see how we do in the in the Euros at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I'm,
0: I think a lot of people, and I'm with you, weird results happen in a weird world. I, I, I get that all along. It is odd, though, Tony, this business. You can't help thinking it's slightly human nature. I did the highlights the other night with Ian Wright and Roy Keane, and they were going, you know, the more you tell a manager to do something, the more stubborn they can be. And the more we all go, why on earth is Jack Grealish not playing? The more they say, we've seen managers go, I'm not playing him because I'm being bloody minded.
3: A bit like Arsene Wenger telling him yeah. that he needs to his defence out and he has that 10 years and yeah. not doing it. You I know, get where you're yeah. coming from. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, managers can go the other way sometimes. But, you know, listen, I, I'd like to think, as I say, I, you know, I praise Gareth. I'd like to think he'd sit down with his staff, you analyse the game and that, and you've got to look at it and say, we're not creating enough going forward. We haven't got that magician in the midfield. And I'm not saying Jack Grealish is the answer, but give him a chance. He's informed for Aston Villa. Aston Villa are doing really well in the Premier League. His confidence must be sky high. He must be sitting there, Jack, scratching his head, thinking, how on earth can I not get in that midfield? Listen, I'm a huge fan of Declan Rice. Calvin Phillips is a young lad who's just come into the Premier League, but... Playing two holding midfielders for me is not the answer. You know, give, give Jack Gredis his chance. And if it's not Jack, get someone else in there who can create things and make things happen. Because when you play at the top in international football, you need creativity against the best teams because they're well organised like they might work. Defensively, they was very good the other night.
0: Yeah, that's the argument, Martin, is that you can't play, you can't, let's be honest, England nicked a result against Belgium. You can't nick three or four results in knockout football to win a major tournament, can you? You actually, at some stage, have to take, I suppose, a little bit of a calculated risk to try and open up the opposition.
2: Yeah, it's it's that old cliche, I can remember. I'm trying to think of the Germany World Cup in 2006 when we really weren't very good. And... um, and players used to come in to do the interviews before the matches and, and you know Rio I can remember specifically saying it but he wasn't the only one and oh no one will mind if we win you know everyone keeps saying we're playing badly no one will mind if we win the World Cup playing badly and you're thinking nobody ever wins the World Cup playing badly no, no. because sooner or later if you keep playing badly your luck is going to run out which is exactly what happened to England and you know it was exactly what happened to England the other night really we we, we you know, We had a bit of a spawny one against, uh, against Belgium and we defended very well in the second half and that was great. And then you get on to Denmark and you, can't you, you <laughs> can't you can't play like that again and 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 come away with two, with back to back wins and we didn't really look like coming away with a win against Denmark you know once certainly not once we went down to ten men but um, no I, I completely take Tony's point about but about packing the midfield with with the holding midfield players or whatever. but I think it's because. He, he's worried he doesn't think we've got the players he wants this belt and braces set up that, that he's got and yes. uh, yeah I would have brought Jack Grealish on if, if even if Jack Grealish hadn't started I would have brought Jack Grealish on against Denmark just the same as I think most most people thought because he, he runs with a ball he takes people on and he, and, he, and he wins fouls he wins free kicks basically
0: Okay, let's finish by looking ahead to the weekend, and Greg, will come to you in a second with what's going on at Old Trafford. We've got to start with Tony, though. Everton, top of the league. The the funny way, I think it's maybe not a bad thing that Goodison is empty this weekend, Tony, because I think the level of expectations from the Evertonians and the pressure on the Everton team would be so much this weekend because of the start that they've made. But anyway, there there aren't any fans. What about the Everton-Liverpool
3: game? What chance Everton this weekend? I think they've got a great chance, Mark. I think probably the, the question really is how will Liverpool react to their horrendous defeat? And I, I know a lot of the players have gone away on the international jury and there's a tendency to sort of forget what happened two weeks ago. But, you know, Jürgen Klopp will have forgot that. He'll he'll want his players all fired up and everything. Um, it, it's different, you know, I think Greg mentioned about the, the, the different atmosphere. I've been going to the games, Mark, as a pundit, and it's it's so different. It's so quiet, it's so eerie. And it's hard for the players, I think, to get motivated and get up, up for it. Yes, it's a, a Merseyside derby, but you won't have the passion of the fans, unfortunately, which will make it a different game. But you know, as far as the actual football's concerned, Everton can go into it full of confidence. You know, they're, they're top of the league. They've had a fantastic star. They've got some. They've made some good signings, and I've already mentioned Calvert Lewin. In you know, they've got player in form scoring goals, so they've got nothing yeah. to worry about. What I do want to see them do, though, take the game to Liverpool. Don't you know? Don't sit back. I know Liverpool are good on the on the counter attack. I understand that, but take the game to Liverpool. Have a real go. And then all the Evertonians at home, if they get beat, they'll go. Well, at least we had a go. You know, don't sit back and let Liverpool take you to pieces. And that. I think Everton have got to really take the game to Liverpool.
0: Yeah, Martin. Those Liverpool players went on international duty with a long, long text
2: from Jurgen Klopp. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I would, I would have thought they did. Yes, you know, they've shipped seven goals at Aston Villa. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm i would be surprised if it was anything under about eight thousand words. Um, the only text
0: that needs an attachment. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so you know, and that's why you've got to give Everton a chance because you know they've just shipped ship seven goals at Aston Villa, so I'm not saying they're going to ship seven goals again. But uh, but you've got to give Everton and the way they're playing a chance. And Dom Dom King has done an interview with Duncan Ferguson uh, for this weekend for the for the paper. And and you know it's, it's great. It's it, there's a great feeling about Everton at the moment because Carlo's done a fan done a fantastic job. He's 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 been the influence and and that everyone hoped he would be in dragging this team to where they would like to be in contention. And then you've got a guy I like Duncan Ferguson as his right hand man who's his he local hero who you've got to think has had something to do with the Dominic Calvert Lewin um with you know his resurgence as a player. You've got to think that if you're hanging around Duncan Ferguson, your heading's gotta get better at the very least. <laughs> <you know>? And <laughs> and, and, uh, and and so there's it's a great feel good it's a great feel good factor yeah. around Everton at the moment and it's it's a fascinating game tomorrow. Because they Brilliant. haven't won, haven't beat Liverpool in so long.
0: Ten years, ten years to the day so tomorrow. Long. Saturday it will yes, be 10 years to the day. To the the day. goal scorers that day, Tim Cahill and Mikel Arteta, they beat there them. I I'd love, I'd love Duncan. I love the thought of Duncan Ferguson looking at Carlo and going, Carlo, this is Liverpool. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this is Liverpool. Okay. <laughs> and
0: not too far away, Greg, what on earth happens to Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer now?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not involved with United at all now. So no, but you're a United fan, though, aren't you still? I'm a, I'm a fan. Well, I'm more yeah. of a Brentford fan than I am a okay. United fan these days. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, I've watched a couple, two, a couple of the games this season and um, the defence looked all over the place both times. Um, I don't know what happens. Uh, I don't know how someone sorts it out, even. I mean, they need I mean there were strange times do you remember the time when um, when United lost conceded six goals at Southampton and five at Newcastle in three weeks or something and won the league and won the league league. league. you know and won the league so strange things can happen you can recover from a couple of bad results and the rest of it but you, you I couldn't see from watching United that they were going to do that actually Greg, I have to say to you straightforwardly, does he look like a
0: Manchester United manager to you? Because if you took off his CV that he played for Manchester United, there's not much else in the CV that suggests he can manage Manchester
4: United.
1: Well, he had, he did pretty well last season. Uh, you know, second half of the last season, they played well. He made some good signings, or United made some good signings. Um, I don't know. The pressure is bound to come on him if if this continues. The pressure is bound to come on him.
2: Yeah, coming just coming full circle, just to a point you made earlier, Greg, about Manchester about Manchester United and about the Premier League and the money in the Premier League and 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 when you look at Manchester United and that they were part of this, this uh, supposed. Um, sort of breakaway away in the negotiations and all of this. You think, well, why Why would you be dissatisfied with the amount of money you're making? They're making a huge amount. Why would they be dissatisfied? You look up Manchester United summer and it started with oligon Gunnar Solskjaer talking about we're going to exploit this situation, you know, COVID and, you know, and we'll be able to sort of come in and everything. And it ended with them chasing around in frantic circles to get Cavani who was a free agent two months before. And it's because the other clubs don't need to sell. And that's the, that's the thing with the money in the Premier League. The, the point you were making about uh, how, how good it is for the competition. Those yeah. other clubs don't need to sell. So Manchester United think, oh, we'll go and we, we can get this guy out of West Ham or we can get this guy out. Of... And it turns out, they go, no, 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 you, you don't. We don't need the money. And it you can see it took £80 million to get Harry Maguire out of Leicester before Leicester actually thought well this is a, this is an offer we can't turn down and, it, and it's very interesting uh, the world is not sort of working out quite as Manchester United thought it was thought it would So we
0: started with football finance we'll end with football finance because there's going to be plenty more of that in the weeks and months to come gentlemen thank you very much And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugac. See you next week for more Game On.